Let's open up to Psalm 145. We're going to continue our series called God Is, and we're looking at four freeing truths that come from Psalm 145, where we're looking at what God is to free us into the blessing of who he's designed us to be. As you're flipping over there, um, a couple just quick uh, things that I want to mention. Last night, right here in this room, we hosted, or the Trailhead students hosted, a trivia night um, to raise money to send our students onto summer mission trips. And and this room was filled with people having a blast. Many of you were there. They raised just over $1,600 to send kids out on on these mission trips, which is... which is phenomenal. I think everybody had a blast and, uh, and the kids were able to raise money. So I want to thank you, all of you who served. Of course, I want to thank the students for serving, but I want to thank the parents who helped them serve because we all know that it's a lot of work to help students to help us. And so um, thank you for investing in them and, and, um, and working to, to make that event a success. The second thing is I'm going to ask you to pray for us specifically over this coming week. I don't know, but We've been negotiating on a building for the last six months, um, kind of working toward it. And and it's been one of these kind of we're moving and then it seems like we hit a wall and then God breaks the wall down. We're able to keep moving. And and, and here's the thing. This thing's probably going to wrap up pretty quick. Uh, We don't know if we're going to get the building or not, but we're doing our best. And kind of the way I look at it is it's my job to chase this thing with everything I've got. And if God doesn't want us to have it, he needs to close the door. Right. And so what I want you to do is pray this week that God would give us favor, give us grace, provide us with the building, unless that is not his best for us, in which case we want him to slam the door and, and, and allow us just to keep pushing forward, um, looking for his best. OK, will you guys pray with us this week for that? Um, because I think that that over this week or the coming weeks, um, this conversation is going to be uh, probably coming to a head. All right, Psalm 145, page 524. We've been looking over the last couple of weeks at these ideas, right? Two weeks ago, we looked at the idea that that God is great, so I don't have to be in control, right? Simple statement, but profoundly uh, impacting when we really look at it, right? Last week, we looked at this idea that God is gracious, so I don't have to hide and I don't have to prove myself, right? Simple statement, Profound in its implication. This morning we're going to be looking at this idea that God is glorious. And because God is glorious, I don't have to build my own kingdom and I don't have to live in fear that it's going to be taken away. Okay, so that's kind of where we're going this morning. We're going to be looking at Psalm 145, verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump down to verse 10. All right, starting in verse 1 I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever. And ever, drop down to verse 10. All of your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The word of the Lord. Uh, In 2012, uh, a couple... Joseph and Denise Webb um, bought a retirement home and they had been saving and dreaming and um, they had worked hard and saved carefully 
And, and it was a beautiful home. I mean, it was a 4,000-square-foot luxury home sitting right on the cliffs of, of Lake Whitney, south of Dallas. Um, they had probably some of the best views of the lake um, on the entire lake. Their two balconies looked out over the lake, and it was a beautiful place for them um, to go. And, and they would have their children and their grandchildren there, and they were looking forward to leaving this home uh, as a family heritage, right? They had invested about a million dollars into the home, which was um, a big part of their retirement and really ultimately their, their kind of nest egg, right? Um, the problem was in 2014, uh, a two-foot crevasse opened up along the ridge and it went right under their house. It went right under their house. They knew it was coming because they could see the crevasse open up. There are pictures of people standing next to it and basically <laughs> looking down and, and they could see that it ran right under their house. And so they had time to, to get all their things out of the house and, and um, to, to kind of stand back and watch, but there really wasn't a whole lot they could do. At this stage of the game, the cliff was collapsing, and it was only a matter of time uh, before it went over the edge. And so they watched really in slow motion as their dream home simply crumbled over the edge. Um, they found out that insurance didn't cover this because of it was a weird geologic cause um, that was not covered under their policy. And not only that, um, when it was finally collapsed all the way into the lake, they were given the bill. They needed to actually hire a salvage company to come and, and clean it all up and, and haul it away. Um, thankfully, they didn't lose any lives, right? Nobody died. Uh, they just lost their retirement. They lost their nest egg. They, they lost their dreams. Um, it was innocent and it was unintentional right? Nobody did anything wrong. Even the builders, they, because they were an unincorporated area, they didn't have to have specific geologic studies done. And the homeowners did the homework they thought they were supposed to do, but it didn't make any, it didn't make it any difference and it didn't make it any less tragic. Here's the thing. I don't, I don't in any way want to criticize or poke fun at the webs. This is a tragic event. Um, and, uh, they lost uh, a lot in this process. Um, I think, any, any number of us could have made the same mistake and ended up with a similar result, right? Here's the thing. I want to use the situation as a metaphor, as a metaphor, because I think it's a powerful illustration of something that Jesus actually talked about. In fact, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talked about something very, very similar. So take a look at these verses. This is Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. He said this, everyone who hears these words of mine, this is Jesus speaking, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell. And great was the fall of it. Here's the thing, guys, Jesus isn't talking about uh, picking a good contractor, all right? He's not talking about actually building a house. <laughs> He's talking about how we build our lives, right? He's using this idea of building a house as a metaphor for how we build our lives. And we all build our lives. Not all of us will contract a, a custom home, but all of us will build a custom life. We are all building our lives. And what he's saying is, is there's two ways to build this life of yours. And they may look identical in some ways. In fact, the end results may look identical. You may look, end up looking in the end from the outside. It may look, may look successful and, and, and luxurious or, or, or whatever it is. But in the end, the only thing that really matters about the house is the foundation. 
Because ultimately the foundation is what determines whether it stands or it falls. Whether your work is in vain or actually lasts. Whether it is successful or a complete failure. Here's the thing, you guys. There is a way to live life where you are completely successful and a complete failure. There is a way to win and at the same time lose because you win the wrong things, which in the end, when you see it, causes you to lose all things. And here's the thing, you don't even know it. You don't even know it until your house falls apart. You don't know it until the foundation starts to shift. What Jesus is getting at is this. You spend your life building in one of two kingdoms, God's kingdom or your kingdom. And the motivation for the building is either motivated by glory for your name and your life or God's glory. Because we don't, here's the thing, you guys, because we don't think God's glory is sufficient for us, we all try to build our own kingdoms in our own names. Let's start there, okay? I don't think there's anybody in here that doesn't start right there. (laughs) We begin not trusting the glory of God. We are all people who, by our own nature, will build houses on sand, our own kingdoms to our own names. And it's only by the grace of God that we can, in fact, discover how to build our houses on the rock, But the bottom line is this, because I don't see the glory of God's kingdom, because I don't see the beauty of his kingdom, I try to build my own kingdom. Because I am not enraptured with the glory of God, I live to build my own glory. So our takeaway from this this week is this, God is glorious. So I can stop building my own kingdom and stop being driven by fear. Now let's take a look at our text and see uh, what David's saying uh, about God's glory in this text. Verses 1 and 2. Uh, I hit this every week, and I want to, because these two verses are the preface to the entire psalm. And when he, when he says here is this, he says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. He's saying, my heart responds in praise to God when I see him as praiseworthy. But he's also saying, I determine to praise God, right? In the very next verse, every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever, even when it doesn't necessarily feel natural. Even when I don't necessarily feel a response to these truths, I will fill my vision with these truths. I will look at these things and lead my heart to respond to you. Right? When we praise God, it's a response to God. It's a response of our hearts. But there are times when we praise God to shape our hearts because we know they're not in the right place. So this is both a response and a determination. And these great truths about God free us as we do that. Right? So drop, drop down to verse 10. And we're going to see what what he says about the glory of God. He says, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. So he's looking at the works of God, the character of God manifest in his creation and manifest in his actions. And it reveals to us aspects of his glory. And it leads us to bless God, right? Verse 11, they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Here's what I want us to take away. There's a couple things. First, God's work shows God's glory. When we see God's work, we get a glimpse of God's glory. He reveals himself in what he makes. He reveals himself in what he does. 
right? But those things are only glimpses of God's glory. Glory, when you think about it, guys, the Hebrew word for glory literally means weighty. It means heavy. It means it has reality and substance to it, right? So when we're talking about glory, we're talking about something that is of imminent importance, imminent value, imminent honor. It is weighty and real. And while we see glory in creation, we look around in a glorious sunset or, or, or in the smile of a child, we might get glimpses of glory. They, they are only glimpses because God himself is the actual original stuff of glory, right? He's the original source of glory. The reason we, we know what it is to be awed by something is because God is awesome. The reason we know what it is to be moved by the beauty of something is because God is the ultimate measure and the original source of beauty. God is the original source of glory. Now, what's interesting about God's glory is that it is an attribute of God, but it's the culmination of all his other attributes. Like we can talk about the power of God, that, that he is all powerful, and that's going to blow our minds. The longer we sin in it, the more we try to understand it, the more it's going to like just, you know, expand our heads, right? This idea that God is omnipotent, all-powerful, blows our minds, right? That's a single attribute of God. When we're talking about the, the, the glory of God, we're talking about the combination of all of his attributes on display. Everything about God on display in visible form. He is the ultimate and perfect expression of all that is good and beautiful and awe-inspiring. And now picture that in invisible form, right? Take a look at this definition. I think it's a pretty good definition of the glory of God. The glory of God is the, the visible manifestation of the comprehensive excellence of God's character. It is the vid- visible manifestation of the comprehensive excellence. Every attribute of God on display that revealed to us God's character. God's glory, all of his character, all of his attributes overwhelmingly on display. Here's the thing, you guys. God's glory is transcendent. And what that means is that it is beyond our ability to take in. It is beyond our ability to esteem, right? It is is overwhelming. When God shows up in his glory and, and he reveals himself in part and measure, you know what people often do? They fall down like they're dead. It is an overwhelming experience, right? When God showed himself to Moses... He said, look, I'm going to pass before you, but I'm not going to let you see all of me, right? Because no man sees God and lives. The overwhelming glory of God, if it were simply displayed to us, would be so overwhelming, so immense that we couldn't survive. So the challenge, you guys, is how do I, as I'm unpacking this passage, unpack it in a way that we can get our heads around. I mean, we're talking about something that is so big, we can't understand it. We're talking about something that, that is so glorious, so grandiose, we can't even take it in, even if God were to show it to us, right? So, so how can we unpack this in a way that we see that it matters to us? That God's glory is, in fact, definitely practical to our lives. All right, it might help if we think about it like this. We encounter glory every single day aspects of glory every single day in small ways. God built us with an awareness of glory, right? We know glory when we see it, and, and, and there's a part of us that craves it. We crave those things that, that, that are awesome, that are, that are overwhelming, that are beautiful, that, 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 that um, are, are, are worthy of our praise, right? 
We, we see those things. We have a need for those things. And we honestly want to be part of those things. We were designed as those who are image bearers of God to walk in the glory of God. And we crave that glory. We crave the outpouring of his goodness and his presence. And we crave being part of that outpouring. Here's the thing, you guys. Think about this. Glory provokes praise. Glory provokes praise. That's what it does to our hearts. When we see something that is glorious, our hearts respond with praise, right? A couple of years ago, my family and I had the opportunity of going to visit Yosemite, which is in the Sierra Nevadas, uh, Central California. If you've never been there, um, you should try it's a beautiful place, right? And this kind of stuff, man, this view is all over the park, right? This is a pullout, man. You're just driving down the road and this is a pullout, right? I took this picture on my iPhone. Kidding. I didn't. I took a picture on my iPhone. It didn't look anything like that. Um, That's a pretty good picture, right? That one looks really good. But here's the thing. That picture is still nothing compared to the reality. Nothing compared to the reality. When you pull over on the side of the road and you climb out of your car and you look at this incredible vista, you utter words of praise like, holy cow, right? Wow, right? Guttural responses, uh, right? I mean, it's like overwhelming. There aren't even words to express what you're experiencing in that moment, what you're seeing. There's a beauty there that calls out of you praise. And so what do you do? You try to capture it. You try to take a picture of it. You try to somehow say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, this is worth grabbing, Right? It's not just physical beauty, though. We see the glory of God in, in all kinds of things. We can see the, the glory of God in, in, in physical prowess, right? Uh, when I was in high school, I loved to skateboard, and um, I was really a, a, just kind of a, a skater grommet kid. I, I wasn't very good. I was very aggressive, which meant I spent more time bleeding than skating. Um, I wasn't incredibly good, but I used to skate at this place called um, Del Mar Skate Park, which is in Southern California. And, and there was a, a group called the Bones Brigade that used to skate there. And so I used to skate with guys like Tony Hawk. And here's the thing. When Tony Hawk would skate, man, he was just this gangly, long-armed, long-legged dude. I mean, he was the most awkward-looking guy ever. It just was all limbs. But he'd get on the skateboard, and it was fluid, man. It was beautiful. He was so good. It was so natural. He would do things on that skateboard that we couldn't even understand. So when he would skate, guess what we would all do? We would step back and be like, holy cow. Wow. And we try to imitate it. We try to capture it in some way through our imitation, right? There was a glimpse of something that was glorious and it provoked within us a a response, right? We see it when, 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 when we see an infant smile. There's something glorious about that right? Something glorious about about the first time, parents, the first time your kids look at you and see you. You know what I'm talking about? Parents know what I'm talking about. First time they look at you and they're no longer just like, I see light, right? But they actually see your eyes and they know who you are and they smile, right? That is a glorious moment. That is a moment where your heart just melts, right? Um, There is glory in human relationships. There is glory in loving and being loved. How many poems have been written? about the glory of love. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I am pouring myself out in love to this person and I know they're receiving it. And I know they're pouring themselves in love back out to me. That's glorious, right? And so what do we do? We praise it. We, we sing of it. We, we, we dream of it. We experience glory daily in our lives, whether it's in our workplace or, or in our creativity or, or, or in natural beauty. 
We experience glory, glory daily, and it provokes within our hearts praise. It provokes within our hearts admiration. When you look at our verses in Psalm 145, it's interesting that David never tells us to praise God for his glory. David is beholding God's glory and praising God. When we read these verses, he's, he is, is, is an outpouring of his heart in praise because his vision is filled with the glory of God's kingdom and he's moved to praise God, right? God's kingdom is where God's glory dwells. It's where he, in a sense, leaks his glory to us in digestible chunks. I'm going to put it that way. God's glory is overwhelming. And so in God's kingdom, he, he leaks it to us in digestible chunks and in little bits and pieces that we can see and enjoy and admire and learn more of, of, of who he is and, and how good he is. God's kingdom is all around us, you guys. God created the world um, to be his kingdom, if you want to, want to put it that way. His kingdom, of course, is among his people, but he created the world to be the place of his people. And when we look around in the world, we get little glimpses of it in a glorious sunrise or, or in, in a beautiful day of hard work. And at the end of the day, you're sweating and you look at the work of your hands and there's that sense of, 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 of glory, right? We, we get little glimpses of it. But here's the thing. We don't get a full glimpse of it. We live in a, a world of, of glimpses, not in a world of, of full revelation. You know why? Because the world is a glorious ruin. It was created by a glorious God, and, and he created it to reflect his glory, right? But, but we sinned. And when mankind sinned, he plunged the world into the effects of sin. Mankind's cosmic treason against God, mankind's rebellion against God. And what ends up happening is, is you have this tension of glory and ruin, the conflict of, of two kingdoms, the one kingdom ushering from the glory of God for the glory of God, where he is the, the author of glory and the authority, right? The other kingdom is the kingdom of us, where it's for our glory in our name, right? The, the kingdom of, of man in conflict with the kingdom of God, where we submit not to God, but to ourselves. The kingdom of God is centered on the glory of God. The kingdom of man is centered on our glory, and we fight to build our own kingdoms to our own names. You know, I see this all the time. Get on the internet, and, and I can click to a blog um, like Humans of New York, which is this weird blog of somebody who's just recounting the stories of different random people he meets in New York. And as you move through there, what you see is the, the beautiful Imago Day that they are created in the image of God. Right? All these different people, all these sometimes weirdos, sometimes homeless, sometimes successful. But, but you see the great diversity of people who were, in fact, created in the image of God. And your heart kind of rejoices in that, right? I think that's the popularity of that blog is people are like, holy cow, look at all these different people. And I can actually come to see their beauty and their dignity, right? And I make one click over and I start reading about the unrest in Baltimore last night where... Uh, people are protesting because a guy named Freddie Gray was arrested because he ran away from the police when they showed up. That's why he was arrested. Because when they showed up, he ran, so they arrested him. They put him in the back of the van, and they did something called rough riding. It's a way they often take unruly um, people that they incarcerate, and, and they put him in the back of a van without a harness, and they drive really rough, and Freddie Gray broke his spine, and he died. And there are protests rising up. And so we see this glorious ruin of people created in the image of God acting inhumanely to other people created in the image of God. 
people abusing the dignity of the image of God and other people purely because of their prejudice or their anger or their, or their, or their, their, because they've been hurt, whatever it is. It is a glorious ruin. One click over and, and you're looking at incredible pictures of things like Yosemite, right? And it fills your heart with a sense of beauty, looking at images of, of Mount Everest and Nepal. And then one click over and you're reading about the, the earthquake that just devastated that region. And, 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 and right now over a thousand, potentially thousands of people killed, right? The, the great uh, ruin that comes in such an area of, of great beauty. You guys, we live in the age of glimpses and the glorious ruin of creation gives us glimpses of the glory of God and it gives us a clear view of the brokenness of man and, and it is this combination that makes it overwhelming. We live in this time of two kingdoms struggling for our hearts. The kingdom of God and, and the kingdom of man, one, one for God's glory, the other for man's glory, for our glory. Here's the thing, you guys. When we look at the resurrection of Jesus, it tells us that only one of these kingdoms will last. When we look at the resurrection of Jesus and we see him as the firstborn of a new creation, it is God's recreation through the redemptive work of Jesus that he is calling a people to himself to ultimately live once again in the outpouring of his glory and in his kingdom for his name through the redemptive work of Jesus. It tells us that the age in which we are living is passing away. This broken age of man has an expiration date. And God's kingdom will come and God's glory will again be at the center. Romans 8 tells us in powerfully pro, um, poetic terms that, that the creation um, groans as in childbirth, waiting for this new age to come, for this birth of God's kingdom, right? For the revealing of the sons of God is the way it puts it. It's as if all of creation is yearning to be freed from this glorious ruin back into the glory of its creator. That same passage tells us that the suffering of this current time isn't even worthy to be compared with the glory that is coming. So how do we live in line with the glory of God's kingdom? How do we live uh, in a way that we are not investing ourselves in the passing deceitful glory of the kingdom of self? In other words, how do we know if we're building on the rock or building our lives on sand? How do we know? Here's the thing. Nobody wants to succeed at building their own life. Nobody wants to succeed in building something that looks really, really good until it no longer looks really, really good. Something that stands until it falls, and great is the fall of it. We don't want to be those people. Here's the thing, you guys. God is glorious, so I don't have to build my own kingdom and live in the fear of its loss. So here's the thing. I want to I give you two tests to help you identify whether you're building on the rock or on sand. And, and I'm going to just tell you this. You're going to fail. Is it okay? Because what we're going to do, we're going to look at two tests, but they're going to they're help us identify how we're failing. Because here's the thing, you guys. It's not up to us to build our lives on the rock. We can't build lives that last. It's up to the grace of God in us. And part of that is us learning how we are, in fact, building lives that are in, 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 you know, independence, that, that are for the kingdom of man instead of the kingdom of God. So we're going to take a look at two tests, and then I'm going to give you an answer, an answer to those tests to help us ultimately move uh, into freedom. So let's talk about first two tests. First is the test of praise. Here's the thing. You want to know what, what your glory is? Follow the trail of your praise. If you follow the trail 
of what you praise, you're going to find what you take glory in. Maybe a better way to put it is, is follow the trail of your jealousy. <laughs> what do you get jealous of, right? Because sometimes when you see something that's praiseworthy, you're like, holy cow, that's awesome. Sometimes when you see something that's praiseworthy, especially when it's in somebody that you don't think deserves it, you're like, holy cow, you're an idiot, right? I mean, some skaters got out there and I'm like, wow, that guy's awesome. Some skaters got out there and I'm like, you're an idiot, right? You ever been in that, in that position where you're really, really good at somebody, at something, and then you find somebody who's really, really better at it than you? You know what I'm saying? Like, like you thought you were good at this. You thought this was like, man, this is my area. And then somebody comes along and they're better at you. And, and not only are they better than you, they don't work as hard as you. It's like easy for them. You know what I'm saying? What are you jealous of? Right? We all love praise. We all love praise. We all crave it. We crave glory and we crave the praise that comes with it. And we get jealous of those who get it in our, plas- path, uh, our way. Follow that path and it will reveal to you what you define as glorious. It will reveal to you where you are building your own kingdom. So a little insight into my heart when I'm honest. Here's the thing. I, I say I get jealous. The illustration I've already used. I, I get jealous of guys who seem to have the success I want without having to do the hard work I do to get it. That drives me nuts. When people have the success that I want, or at least they seem to, and they're not having to work anywhere near as hard as I work to get it, that just fills my heart with uh, jealousy and all kinds of ugly things. Why? Because I crave that praise. I crave that glory. You're like, seriously, dude, you're a pastor. Yeah, pastors are super holy, right? You guys know that. All pastors like the paragon of virtue, right? Nobody's ever been hurt by a pastor. Yeah, we're totally broken, if you don't know that, right? We are absolutely broken, um, which is why we need grace, right? And ultimately, we're the beggars who found bread. We're just telling you where to find it, right? It's not that I'm up here telling you, man, I got this thing all together. All I am is telling you, I am absolutely broken, but the grace of God is fixing me, and I'm going to point you to how. And so when I open this up, man, this is real. I had to wrestle with this, right? When you go to church planting conferences, which I do a lot, I, I have had the privilege of, of, of going to a number. I, I wasn't, you know, this wasn't my field originally. I was an educator. I, I spent 17 years as a teacher and a principal. And, and then I made that weird transition to being a family pastor. And they sent me out to be a church planter. God's will. I absolutely love it. But this whole new world is kind of weird. And when I go to these church planting conferences, or I go to these big conferences, two things people ask you. One, where are you from? And two, how big is your church? Every time, where are you from? Hmm, how big is your church? Why do they ask that? Because that's how they measure your worth. That's how they measure your worth. If you have a bigger church, you must be important. If you have a bigger church, you must be successful. That, that is the, the delusion of our Western culture bleeding over into the Christian subculture, where we think bigger is better, right? It doesn't matter that some of the biggest churches in America don't even preach Jesus. Bigger is not better. Growth is not a measurement of health. You know what I'm saying? And yet we still get deluded by that. And that still feeds my heart, right? We'll meet with somebody and, and they're like, yeah, we've been running for six months. We're at 400. Oh, jerk. <laughs> right? Why? Because you're better at it than me and you're not working as hard, right? Uh, my heart tends to measure success in the wrong ways. It pursues glory in the wrong ways. 
And jealousy shows me where I feel like you're stealing my glory. Jealousy shows me where I feel like you're, in, you know, you're impinging on the boundaries of my kingdom because I love to be praised. And when you steal my praise, man, I get kind of ugly. So when I follow that path for me, you guys, I can see that I follow that path of what I praise. I follow that path of, of what I get jealous of. And it leads me to see the end result, which is, okay, the area where I'm seeking to build my own kingdom is, is really in my identity as a, as a church leader, right? So if my church is bigger and it's growing faster and, and we're doing all these wonderful things that people praise, somehow I'm more worthwhile, right? Now, here's the thing. I'm going to throw this out there. I have learned that you can do all the right things for all the wrong reasons. No surprise there, right? When Jesus told that story about the two houses on the sand and the rock, right? Some people build their house on the sand. Some people build their house on the rock and, and the rock stands and the sand crumbles. Guess who he was talking to? He wasn't talking to a bunch of unbelievers. He was talking to highly religious people. And what he was saying to them, in fact, right before that, in the passage right before that, he said to them, at the last day, there are going to be people that come to me and they're going to be like, Lord, 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 didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do miracles in your name? Didn't we go feed the homeless at shelters in your name? Weren't we at churches every Sunday in your name? Weren't, weren't we incredibly involved religiously in your name? And he looks at them and he says, yeah, take off. I never knew you. In other words, they did all that religious behavior, but they did it all for their own glory and not God's. They did it to build their kingdom, not God's. You can do all the right things for all the wrong reasons. It's not what you do, it's why you do it. So the temptation and the real danger for me as somebody whose profession is to lead in the church is to build my identity on how well I succeed by my measure of success, right? Which is the wrong measure. Right. I often measure by size, not health. I often measure by, by what people praise as opposed to what is real. There's a temptation. And I have to, I have to battle my own heart. I have to repent of, of the vainglorious desires, that, that vainglory, right? Vainglory is a word that means empty of weight, right? My glory is empty of weight. It, unlike the weightiness of God's glory, it is temporal and passing and, and, and really has no substance to it, right? So let me ask you this, you guys. That's my heart. What is it for you? What is it for you? Is it business? Finance? You know? When when people are better in business, more successful uh, financially, you become jealous of them because that's how you find your identity. That's how you're building your kingdom and establishing your name. Is it your reputation? Do you hate it when you feel like people are not giving you the respect you deserve? Or when other people get recognition and you don't? Is it your marriage or possibly your family? The way your kids look in public, right? Living in terror that people might actually see what your home is really like, right? Like out in public, right? And so when you see someone who who has this wonderfully happy family on Instagram and you become jealous, What is it for you, you guys? What is it? Follow that path and it will show you where you are being tempted to build your own kingdom and to establish your own glory. Second test is this. What are you afraid of? What fear drives you? Here's the thing. When we're building our own kingdoms, we have to fight for our own glory. 
We have to protect our own reputation and establish our own glory. That is exhausting, and it will trigger every insecurity in our hearts. When you are fighting for your own kingdom, when you are fighting for your own glory, you will be driven by fear. I want to show you a video. This is from our sister church in Tacoma, um, sister church in the Acts 29 network. They're, they're named Soma. They've created a great series of videos that accompany this psalm, and so take a look at this. My name is Megan, and this is my story. I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up going to church. I did Awanas. I was involved in a youth group. I volunteered as much as possible. Um, when I got a little older, I was a summer camp counselor. People saw me as a giver, um, as someone who kind of had it all together. Um, and I started to get affirmation from that, from being um, the girl who had it all together. And I saw that I had this family history of people who loved Jesus and who were willing to sacrifice for others. And I wanted to be like that. And unfortunately, I discovered that I also have this long family history of anxiety and depression. But I never thought that that was going to affect me because I, I mean, I was doing pretty good. I had it all together. Um, I was a good church-going girl. Last year, I moved out of my parents' house. I was working full-time. I was still trying to maintain this image of uh, being really involved. And my body and mind kind of decided that that wasn't going to work anymore. Um, but I ignored that. And I just kept going because I had to keep this up. All of a sudden, I found myself having panic attacks on the way to work or in meetings at work or on the way home or during the day. Um, and, I, and I didn't know what to do with that because it didn't, it didn't fit with my image. And I didn't want people to think that I was crazy. And I was afraid that my community was going to label me as crazy, ask me to not be involved in community until I got myself figured out. So I would, I would have these panic attacks, I'd be crying at work, and I'd come home and I'd tell my roomie that I was feeling kind of anxious and I might go see a counselor. And she'd be like, oh, okay, but I didn't want her to see the depth of my mess. It didn't work very long. I found myself out with coworkers wishing that a car would hit me. And through that, the Holy Spirit really was able to say, I have more for you than this. Like something in this equation is going to have to change. I was able to make it outside and, and call my boyfriend and say, listen, this is going to sound absolutely nuts, but this is where I'm at right now, and I, need, I just need help. I just can't do this anymore. Um, and within 10 minutes, I had my, my family around me um, taking me home um, to my parents' house an hour north in the middle of the night after packing me up and taking care of all of my tasks um, and like loving me even though I was so messy. That kind of was what allowed me to see that it's not about me, um, that God is concerned with His glory and that Jesus entered into our mess to make God glorious. If I'm so concerned with my own, with my own image in front of other people, that I'm never going to experience the freedom, freedom that Jesus purchased for me on the cross by entering into my mess. I'm not saying I have it all together by any means, um, but I'm experiencing more and more freedom every day as I um, accept that I'm messy and that I'm, I'm never going to be perfect and that when I'm able to be weak that he's made to look really good. That's a beautiful, 
story. Um, what it highlights is, is this. I mean, it really is exhausting to build your own kingdom and to establish your own glory. To always have it together, to, to, to whatever it is, whatever that path leads to for you, that area where you are, are anchoring your glory, where you are anchoring your worth, it's exhausting to keep putting up an image, to keep pretending, to keep fighting, to keep measuring, to keep fearing, and to have those insecurities just eating away at you. And how much more glorious it is to be delivered from that fear of the loss of your glory into the confidence and rest in the glory of God, that His glory is sufficient, that His presence is good, that, that God's glory is, in fact, what you were created for, not your own. What we're talking about is ultimately being delivered into the gift of humility. Because when we're humble, we're lowly, but we're not cast down. We are humble, but not humiliated. We are low, but we are not broken. We're, we have nothing to prove and no one to impress. I mean, it's a, a beautiful thing when we rest in the glory of God. So I want you to think about how much your life is driven by human fear and how much your life is, is driven by the craving of vain glory, this empty glory that we want to build around our own names. And let me just identify a few fears and see which ones you identify with, right? How about the fear of, of not being recognized? The fear of other people being recognized over you or before you. The fear of missing out on the inner circle. You ever experienced that when you see an inner circle of people who seem to have all the influence or the power? That's where all the fun is. Or maybe that's where all the influential decisions are made. And you're like, I want to be in that circle. Because then I'll be important. Then I'll be weighty. And you get in there. And, and as soon as you get in there, what do you start doing? You discover there's another inner circle. <laughs> right? Another group of people that are more influential or having more fun. Right? And so you're plagued by, by fear. That drives you. I mean, sometimes you see this, this behavior work its way out in um, really strange ways, right? Value adders, people that are in every conversation that feel like they have to add value to everything that's said, <laughs> right? You say something like, yeah, that's good, but this also. Well, I make a point, but yeah, that's really good, but this also. And, and that was a great story. Here's a better story, right? What are, what's going on with a value adder? Why are they doing that? It's driven by an insecurity that basically says, I have to be noticed in this situation, I have to add value to this conversation or I'm not worthwhile. You might not notice me, right? What about FOMO? Any of you got that? Fear of missing out? Yeah. <laughs> the fear that there's something going on that you're not being included in, right? You're always figuring out what your friends are doing because they might be doing something that you weren't invited to. Right? There might be some fun that you're missing out on or some important meeting that's taking place that you're not invited to. Fear of missing out. Fear of being overlooked. Some of you are driven by the fear of being different. You're just terrified of sticking out, of, of being identified as, as outside right? of, of, of the given group. And, and, and so what you wear and what you say and who you speak with and how you say what you want to say is subtly or sometimes not so subtly driven by fear. Some of you, uh, you don't have the fear of being different. You have, you have the fear of being the same, right? You're, I will be a unique snowflake. I will be, right? And so you're a nonconformist like all those other nonconformists, right? You're, you're like, I will be different, right? And, and, and there's a fear that somehow if I blend in, I'm not worth as much. If I'm like everybody else, somehow that diminishes my glory and my worth. 
Some of you are driven by the fear of offending people. That idea that somebody might not like you. And you are just driven to be so nice and to, to say the right word. And, and you beat yourself up when you think you said the wrong word. Even if you didn't. You know what I'm saying? You, this is relate, right? Like you walk away from a conversation, you replay it a thousand times in your head. And I wonder if that was the wrong thing to say. And I wonder if they didn't. And I wonder if, and I wonder. And you finally have a conversation where you go to them and you're like, I'm so sorry. I'm sure I, and they're like, what are you talking about? I have no idea what, you know, but your fear magnifies every weakness and everything that might rob you of glory. Some of you have a tremendous fear that your kids will behave like kids. That who you are on the way to church is the way your kids are going to behave when they actually get there. Right? That who you are in the privacy of your home is what people will see in public. You're, you're afraid that that glory Right? You want people to look at you as that parent, the one who has it all together. And you're jealous of those that, that when they go out in public, man, they just, their kids are always in line. They're always like, yes, you're yes, ma'am. You know what I'm saying? Like, maybe your fear is a fear of disrespect, of not being taken seriously or being laughed at. And so you do everything you can to stay in that circle of respect where people will look at you and praise you and like you. And, and, and this happens a lot in religious circles, doesn't it? Doesn't it? where we come to church wearing our Sunday best and we say all the churchy words and we learn the right ways to talk about our sins so that they don't look as sinful as they actually are. We learn which sins are actually appropriate to confess publicly in groups and which ones we just need to keep hidden to ourselves, right? You come to community group and you're like, oh man, this week, man, the sin of overwork. I've just exhausted myself with overwork. And people are like, oh man, you're right. That's just so, and then you're walking away like it's a badge of honor, you know? Like, I work so hard, right? But if I come to the group and I'm like, oh, man, I looked at porn this week. Everyone's like, you're not supposed to confess that one out loud. Idiot. Right? Go deal with that on your own. Right? That's the pressure of of fear and vainglory. That idea that in this circle, this is how we get each other to like each other. This is how we get praise and, and worth. The church can be the worst at building little kingdoms of vainglory where it's our name, our reputation, and we're just leading out with everything we're not so that people will think we're more glorious than we are. When we are building our own kingdoms, we are obsessed with self-glory and we are driven by fear. It lets loose all of the insecurities of our heart because we know we can't be what we're pretending to be. We cannot build the kingdom we are driven to build. We cannot be as successful as we are driven to be. And will end up driving us. I mean, it's amazing if you think about how much fear drives us. It, it affects the way we dress, the cars we drive, the houses we buy, the careers we choose, the spouse we marry, the, the people we hang out with, the restaurants we eat at. We live in fragile card houses of self-glory. And we live in fear of somebody blowing it over. Follow the path of your fear. I'm not saying this so you'll be condemned. There's not a single person in this room that can't identify in some way with the way fear is driving their behavior. I guarantee you. There's nobody in this room that's like, I only fear the loss of God's glory. I'm holy, right? The only thing that that I'm afraid of is that God won't get his glory. The, The only thing that drives me it's the greatness of God's name. There's nobody in the room like that. 
Let's just be honest. We're all broken people learning what it means to walk in our new identity in Christ. We are all broken people discovering the beauty of grace and being changed by that grace. So let's own it and take a look at where we're broken. Let's take a look at where we are building our own kingdoms. Why? So that we can bring those things into the light before God. And say, God, show me your glory in place of mine. Show me your strength in place of my weakness. Show me how your name is sufficient so I don't have to build my own. So I told you I would give you two tests to figure out how you're living for your own kingdom. Let's talk about the solution. How do we get free from this um, cycle of pride and fear? How do we break free from this cycle of building our own kingdom, being afraid we're going to lose our own kingdom, growing in pride in our own kingdom, resenting people who seem to be doing better? How do we break free? You have to do exactly what David says to do in Psalm 145. You have to fill your vision with the glory of God to the point that you actually respond to the glory of God with praise. You have to see his beauty to the point where you actually say he is beautiful. You need to fill your vision with how he is is creative and great to the point where you say your creativity and greatness is awesome and and I, I, I am just awed by it. You have to see how God's power is so much greater than yours and his power is worthy of your trust and adoration so that you can become comfortable with your lack of power. You have to fill your vision with the glory of God if you want to be freed from building your own glory. And there is no greater or clearer demonstration of the glory of God than Jesus. When we fill our eyes, our vision, with Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, we fill our eyes with the greatest demonstration of glory that history has ever known. Right? You, you want to you see the glory of beauty? Look at Jesus' life. Look at the way he interacts with the people that are outcasts, people that are powerless, people that are, 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 are disempowered by society and, in fact, devalued by society. He loves them, right? Jesus comes up to the leper, who is the lowest of the low, the people that are on the outcast of society. In fact, they have to live in their own uh, uh, complexes outside of town. They're never touched. They're never interacted with. They have to yell, unclean, unclean, when they're walking through the streets because of their disease. People avoid them. What does Jesus do? He doesn't just walk and speak a word of healing over them. He touches them. You want to see beauty in action. Look at the way Jesus interacts with people who are created in the image of God, but are suffering the effects of the ruin of sin people that are disenfranchised and broken and he empowers them and dignifies them and loves them. It's it's love. You want to see the glory of God's love? Look at the cross. There's no greater demonstration of love when you see the Holy One of God, the glorious one, emptying himself of his right to his glory and becoming one of us but without sin and living the life we should have lived and then dying the death we deserve to die. The Holy One of God who knew no sin made sin for us, not because he had to, but because he loved us enough to choose to. He took our worst so that he could give us his best. 
You want to know love, the glory of love. Look at Jesus on the cross. You want to know the glory of power? Look at the empty tomb. When Jesus rises from the dead victorious over death and sin, where light is victorious over darkness, where life is victorious over death, where God ushers in a new creation based on the redemptive work of Jesus. You want to you know power. Look at the power of the resurrection. And in filling your vision with, with the glory of God, you'll become comfortable with your weakness. When you fill your vision with the glory of God, you'll become comfortable with the fact that you are not glorious, but he is, and he is for you. That his glory is not something separate from you, condemning to you. It is yours in Christ. That he approves of you and loves you and covers you with Christ himself. When you believe. When you fill your vision with the glory of God, it it builds your longing for the kingdom of God. For things that are real and weighty. For things that are true and lasting. It helps you get a greater vision of this age that is passing away. Of these vain, glorious pursuits that, that we're so desperate for because the world tells us we should be. And we start actually getting perspective on what lasts and is real and is valuable. And we come to delight in the manifestations of God's glory in such simple things as two friends who love each other enough to be honest with each other. A community of people that serves one another. The beauty of of productivity, not so that I can build my name, but so that I can act in the image of God and be productive. The, The beauty of rest and stepping away from work so that I can imitate the God who delights in what he creates and rest in his goodness. I'm telling you, the glory of God feeds you in ways that will free you from your fear and free you from your need to build your own kingdom. God is glorious, so I can stop building my own kingdom, and I can stop being driven by fear. You guys, I'm going to put some questions on the screen in a moment that are reflection questions designed to um, create space for you to interact with God, to um, listen to His voice. I want to remind you first that there are worship response cards in your bulletin. We would love it if you have comments or questions or suggestions, write them on there, drop them in the response boxes up front or by the door. We'd love to hear from you. If you have prayer requests, we will pray with you. We will pray for you. If you want a meeting, we will be happy to set up a meeting with you. We want to do anything we can to walk with you as you discover the beauty of the glory of God. Whatever stage of your spiritual journey you're on, um, we're happy to, to, to walk with you. It's our privilege to do so. If you're a first-time guest, remember to visit Connection Point on the way out. We have a gift for you just to honor you for, uh, for visiting with us this morning. All right, here's some reflection questions as we go into a time of just responding to God. First of all, what spurs your jealousy? What do you love to be praised for? That can be kind of a hard question because I guarantee you it's going to be connected in some way to a deep insecurity. But have the courage to actually look at it, to bring it out into light before God and say, yeah, this, this is driving me. This leads me to judge others, to tear them down so that I feel big. Secondly, what triggers your fear? What triggers those deep insecurities of your heart? 
Again, just to bring it out into the light, just to bring it before God so that you can see it clearly. And then finally this, what does it look like for you to rest in the glory of God to be freed from your pride and fear? What does it look like for you when you bring these things out into the light to say, all right, Lord, this is how I'm trying to pursue my own glory. This is how I'm trying to build my own kingdom. Will you fill my vision with your glory? Will you fill my vision? Will you shape my appetites so that I desire your kingdom and not mine? Because I'm starting to see how small and worthless these things are. Will you fill my vision with how great and worthwhile you are and how much you love me in spite of me and how much you celebrate over me and how your glory covers me? As we fill our vision with God's glory, we're freed from our need to build our own. Let me pray for us. We'll go into a time of response and we'll share communion in a moment. Father God, I thank you that you are a glorious God. That you are the measure of all that is beautiful and good and, and, and worthy of praise. That you are the original stuff. That every time we get a glimpse of something glorious, it is really um, just a small, tiny representation of who you are and your beauty and your greatness. Father, I pray that you would free us from our desperate need to build our own kingdoms, to establish our own names, to make ourselves great. That you would free us to rest in your glory instead of build our own, knowing, Lord, that you give us your record as a gift in Christ. That you give us the weight of all that is good about you by grace. Help us, Lord, to celebrate who you are on our behalf instead of who we are in our own name. 